We are two brown girls at different stages in our career, offering our perspectives on the evolving changes and issues that come up when navigating inequities in the workplace and society as a whole. Here, we empower professionals through discussion of human resources management, work-life balance, and systemic inequities. I'm Melody. And I'm Alexis. And thank you for joining us for our next episode. So um, I wanted to talk about a little bit about um, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. It's funny because we've been, well, it's not funny, but we've been hearing people complain a lot about just gas prices rising and just getting hit at the gas pump. But I feel like people aren't really connecting the rising gas prices to this huge conflict that is going on right now um, in Russia and Ukraine. And part of me, um, I do want to say my prayers do go out to those that are trying to, you know, escape the climate at the moment and those who have, you know, become casualties due to all of this that's going on. And what had me, my brain going is how, you know, do we, is this conflict going to affect uh, the U.S. job economy? Um, Will we see an impact from what's currently going on? Because I feel like right now we're seeing some subtle signs that people aren't really connecting to the conflict. Uh, But will there, will there be larger challenges when it comes to the job market where we exist. So I dug into that and I was very curious. And it turns out that while this might be a a hump that we have to get over because there are certain sectors like the financial sector, trading and all that, that are, uh, there's some strain there and they're, they're really being impacted by uh, the conflict that's going on by having to stop imports and stop, um, I know Russia stopped their stock market and like there's just a lot of things tied up. And now the U.S. positioning itself to really just learn how to do without the that relationship with um, Russia when it comes to business. So um, from that, it seems like we're going to see an increase in the job market um, because they're going to focus on creating more U.S. jobs and they're going to drive um, drive these the, fill those gaps and those voids with what they say um, was a part of Biden's plan in the first place. Even though I'm not trying to get political because you can't predict these things, but. Um, I know PayPal and JP Morgan Chase have already, uh, have like increased hiring just around responding to and creating like finance products around what's happening because at the end of the day, decisions have to be made. Um, you know, the pivot has to occur and, um, there's, and so there we have it. Alexis, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, I do think it'll force companies to be more creative. Um, when you spoke about companies having to um, take a look at 
their U.S. labor force versus their overseas labor force and um, all that. I think companies will have to be more creative in that aspect. And then just how to pivot when you talk about things with import stopping. Um, we've already experienced severe supply chain issues due to the pandemic. And to not sound like a cynic or at the risk of sounding like a cynic, it's going to get worse. But I think this has made companies try to pivot. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a solution for it as long as we keep looking for it. Um, more so realizing that we don't need to keep bringing in as much as we have been. Um, I am concerned a bit about um, like if imports in terms of food, but I do think that the U.S. Mm-hmm. is the U.S. would be fine in that aspect. It'll be other countries that are affected more by that than the U.S. But um, as far as like job creation, I think it will have the effect of creating jobs because we have to have people to kind of figure out these things to help navigate these new spaces and do it in hopefully a more graceful way than we've been doing it. So I can say that I am optimistic. My prayers do go out to those who are more immediately affected by everything that's going on in uh, this crisis, because I can't imagine having to deal with that or to to be worried about my job on top of survival. Mm-hmm. So, um, but as far as how it affects the U.S., I'm more of in a let me learn what I can learn space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because I feel like the globally, they feel the impact. I mean, it's a global impact all over from what's happening, you know, especially when the country goes rogue. And then I think it just also sends us a reminder how important it is not to be too reliant on, you know, certain things that that we're not able to bounce back from. So I'm glad that like there is a pivot and that we do know how to respond to this. Um, and it sounds like there is like companies are making decisions and um, and they know what to do and they've you know been advised. And while there may be you know a, a hiccup, it sounds like it's going to be something that we can bounce back from. And that overall, the job market. There's a lot of jobs. There's job growth right now because mm-hmm. and there's also, you know, a lot of people resigning and it's a nice pool to play in where there's a lot of jobs to, that can be entertained. So I think on top of what we already currently have, adding more jobs to that um, will be good for the economy. And, that, and it sucks that it, that I'm, I, I like to find like the, the one little sliver of hope and, yeah, like it's silver lining. <laughs> and then, again, like it's it's hard to like it almost makes you feel guilty to think about things like, oh, look at this booming job market when we're in a space where you're you you want to be nothing but compassionate because everybody's yeah. not um they don't, they don't have that luxury, but business is business and you have to take advantage of those opportunities where you get them. And if you can take advantage of the opportunity and it do something good once you get into that space, then why not? And so speaking of, you know, the 
evolving job market, what also has come to mind is just how the cryptocurrency job market is on the rise and expanding. And we're starting to hear a lot more. We've been hearing a lot about Bitcoin and blockchain, and we're you know now hearing a lot about cryptocurrency as well. So um, just again, like the wheels turning in my head is like, okay, what is this? How does this contribute to the economy? Especially when we're talking about this, this, the way that um, currency is being exchanged. It's not like a designated North America, you know, sort of situation. So um, I was just looking into, you know, is there, is there a crypto job market and and what does it look like and what i've discovered is that yes <laughs> it exists and it's it's booming apparently and it's grow and it's job listings related to crypto um have grew like by like close to 400 percent which is insane and i hear that it's extremely competitive um, extremely competitive work that that uh, they are looking for talent for, and um, and I'm wondering. And it's funny because I'm like piggybacking off of last our, our last episode when we were discussing how can someone position themselves for a career that you know they may not be aware that will exist you know in the future or like like currently. There is no crypto. How do you prepare to like engage, do that work in that field in the financial industry when cryptocurrency wasn't a thing, you know? Right. Right. Well, I think a lot of it um, does come from, you know, people in our age range and maybe a little bit older look at, oh, I wish that I would have gotten in on. Um, Amazon stock when it first hit the scene or Facebook stock when it first hit the, like, I wish I would have been more tech savvy because a lot of people look at this new thing is, oh, whatever, it's not going to last. I don't know anything about it. And they're trying to learn from those mistakes or those, you know, brush offs and say, I want to get on on this, get in on this at the ground level. And, mm-hmm. um, on top of that, we do know that tech in general is, is where the money is. And, if you can get in on that when it comes to like a largely in my mind, tech based currency based thing, um, it makes sense. So I don't, I don't blame people for, for really trying to get in on it, get mm-hmm. their their teeth into it. Uh, it's definitely on my list to do more research into and, you know, get my little piece of the pie. Um, I've never been one that says that I have to have it all, but do I want a piece of it? Absolutely. And that's so. how I feel about cannabis as well. I'm not going to lie. I have definitely invested in some cannabis stocks because. And it I'm makes sense. It like, from the ground up there. <laughs> as and it I think that. It's federally regulated one day. <laughs> and as a black woman, you have to sit and take a, you say it with the, oh, I'm not going to lie because it's frowned upon for black people <laughs> to say, oh, I'm going to invest in cannabis um, because of the stigma that surrounds, you know, weed in the black community. Yeah. And the but, that surrounds it. But you don't blink an eye at any other community that decides to invest their money in can in the cannabis industry. So get your piece of the pie, girl. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Yeah. So um, I, I just find that extremely intriguing, and 
I think eventually we will see like schools teaching courses on, you know, crypto and, and get diving deeper into the financial sector and, and just how vast and broad it is as well, because, you know, there's this, this stuff is just, it's so interesting how tech is evolving as quick as it is because we're from like, you know, foot phone era <laughs> and right. we have, we are literally, we have watched technology evolve so fast. I remember when the iPhone came out and we were just like, oh, this is like the newest, <laughs> most futuristic thing. This is like Jetsons era stuff. And now <laughs> look at where we are. Yes, and now they have, you know, phones as big as tablets. And, you know, that's why I'm like, I will just get a tablet because why does the phone have to be so big? I'm just trying to figure out. But (laughs) it's because it has to do all these things and be amazing. And eventually your phone will be able to drive you to an appointment. It probably does. I'm sure they have a hookup (laughs) in the Teslas. I would not doubt it. But um, you spoke about being able to teach those things in school and how, a lot of these things we don't like if we don't do our own independent research on it, we don't know. And um, especially in our black communities, if our parents aren't the ones that are giving us that supplemental education or we don't seek it out ourselves as young adults um, going out into the world at you know a high school level or even middle school level, we don't get it. And I think that for sure there will be courses that are um, put as part of a curriculum in like at college level, but as far as at high school level and middle school level, outside of like an after school club, I don't really see it being put into the curriculum. And if it is, um, well, that's I'll be because ecstatic like educators aren't being paid enough. <laughs> right. Educators if you pay teachers paid what they're worth, they will be teaching these kids rocket science. Okay. They so. will, but we know that that's not like the. <laughs> Just the only reason why certain topics aren't being taught in schools as far as educators not being we get it. paid enough. But the, and it's just like a reluctance to change the the curriculums based off of personal interest and what serves their personal interest. And do we want to circulate this information for everybody to get or do we want to keep it within certain communities? And that's what I'm getting at there. And yeah, people don't like I mean, change. I think that's the problem. People like they don't like change stuff repetitive, redundant. And the moment you're like, well, let's try this. People get all in the uproar because it's because some people just have a hard time dealing with something different than what previously existed. Even if what previously existed didn't work. Mm -hmm. Well, and (laughs) Um, even then, like this is valuable knowledge that are kept for just certain sectors, certain areas. The first time that I learned about a Roth IRA in depth, was when I went to a symposium with a friend of mine for the business school at UNC. And mm-hmm. that wasn't something that like there was a class that I could sign up for. You, If I wasn't able to go to that symposium, which she invited me to that and allowed me to enroll in it. But outside of that, if I wouldn't have enrolled or wouldn't have been friends with her, I wouldn't have had access because I wasn't in the, the business school. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a blueprint to success, but everyone doesn't have access to that blueprint. Exactly. And I would charge these gatekeepers of such to stop being so boys clubbish. Oh, yeah. But that's a whole other topic. (laughs) I was like, I could go down a rabbit hole there. But 
Um, so as we, you know, talk about the job market and kind of getting back in the workplace, um, how it's, it's been a couple of years now since we've been doing like fully remote hybrid and just completely different shifts and shifts and changes in our schedules and how we um, do our work. So there is this push, like, let's get back, you know, let's get back to our norm or a new norm and get back in the office. And how do we increase social interaction um, post-COVID, you know, after we've been through really uh, the mud and a lot of people not being even able to be here to uh, get experience where we are. So how do we still engage people and try to cultivate, you know, what used to be probably a more collaborative um, environment and like more, you know, people friendly and heavy environment that we now have had to like, was regulated to distance, separate, Mm -hmm. chop up and, you know, you over here, you over here, you working from home, you, you in this, you know, building. So where do we go from here? Um, well, one, I want to start out by saying that we are definitely not post COVID. And I think that America is taking <laughs> a look at things as, oh, COVID's over because we just woke up one day and decided that it's over. But that's also another soapbox. That I'm not going to get on. <laughs> I'll have that. I just had to have that one little disclaimer. And I know what you meant by like post COVID world. So I'm not attacking what you said. Um, but I think like as we're trying to transition back into some sense of what we used to regard as norm um, or as normal, we need to realize that there is going to be a new normal. And it doesn't have to be, oh, we're just going to always remain separated and you over here and you over there. Um, but doing it with caution is what I would recommend. So like the hybrid schedules that a lot of companies have tried to implement, there are a thousand different ways to do a hybrid schedule. Um, Letting people be able to interact with smaller groups of people so that you can still have that collaborative nature um, to really push the whole, have your cameras on when you are having these group think meetings uh, because it's one thing for me to. But have we burned out. What do you mean? Turn our camera on. We are tired of being on a camera. Oh, trust me, I am one that loves to be in a meeting <laughs> with no camera on. But I do know in a meeting <laughs> where where we are trying to come up with solution based ideas and come up with a way to move mm-hmm. the company forward, all of that it works better when you can see the person. You can feed off of their energy. Those people, those dynamic personalities that we feed off of in the office. Um, face-to-face, those same personalities shine through when we're virtual and it helps when you can see the person versus when you can't. I have a manager right now that um, when I can see her face or when we interacted in person, it just made, it made me feel better about the day. I could feed off of some of her energy and it allowed me to come out of my shell some um, mm-hmm. because I was in a completely new environment, didn't know anybody. And the fact that she was just so upbeat and bubbly and, you know, welcoming made me feel more comfortable versus I've had meetings with her, the same person with no camera on. And it was a completely different experience. And mm-hmm. again, this is going against even my own mm-hmm. personal 
preferences because I would rather not have to make sure my hair looks presentable and all that. I would <laughs> I would rather just not have my camera on as well. But if you put forth a little bit more effort, um, some of that can you'll see that you get better results. Um, and that's just for people who are like, I'm not going to go and be around people. I don't want to expose potentially expose myself to anything. Well, I would just rather work from home, not want to go in the office. Um, those are all valid things that we have to consider. But if you want to get better results, you do have to be willing to adapt to certain things that you may not mm-hmm. want. So would you rather adapt to putting on your camera for an hour a day or br- bring your button to the office? Your choice. Yeah. But I think, like, I think forcing online interaction is a little stale now because we do, we utilize it for work more um, now. And we have been utilizing it, utilizing it for like social, professional, social, and personal as well, you know, especially when we're talking about a year ago. So today, I mean, Today is like, yes, let's go on a walk, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. more outdoorsy open stuff where we can still engage somehow. Like, I don't know what people's, you know, work environments look like, but if there's any like paths or anything um, that you could just have like, oh, meet me in the lobby in five if you want to walk down such and such trail or something like that. And like trying to get back out there, I think still cautiously, but I think it's it's gonna have to be in person. I mean, I do encourage like it's nice to have your camera on because it's hard when you don't have you, you're trying to read, you know, you're trying to just listen to what they're saying. You can't see right. your facial expressions and all that stuff and. And then that just makes me want to segue into accessibility, but um, <laughs> conversations. <laughs> um, but I think that in-person stuff is inv- is valuable. And I'll say that from like, I started and worked a job for a year where we were like hundred remote the majority of that year, maybe like the last couple months of that was hybrid mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, I interacted with people via email and meetings and, you know, town halls or whatever. I saw people, but I still didn't feel connected to the community. And then, so another job, though, however, when I started that job, when I first started the job, they were like, oh, please, like, come for lunch, which I had to come do stuff anyway, you know, to, um just confirm everything and go through all these processes, the hiring process. And so, but I really valued being able to like meet the people who I would be interacting with remotely, have that brief opportunity to like, and have a sit down space lunch, you know, with them and, you know, just have casual conversation. Yeah. To put like an actual face to things. Um, I was really adamant when starting um, with my team to, you know, have like the cameras on first meetings. But I was also meeting with people who were in other countries. So we were not going to meet for lunch within the next week or so. <laughs> but um, we also were able to do like a dinner with um, one part of our team and being able to 
meet these people in person did add value to me as well. So I think having some in-person interactions, but doing so cautiously does help. And it it's kind of like we're easing back into certain things while also keeping in mind that some things may never go back to exactly how it was before. And if anything, if the only thing that we take from this pandemic, if we ever get to the other side of it is being more conscious of using hand sanitizer, washing your hands and, you know, just not being gross humans. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a win in my book. Um, but I think that like, you're right. We, I am a very uh, people oriented person. I do. I have had to learn at times to guard myself from like people burnout, if that's a thing, mm. because um, I am someone who can be like an over communicator and try to um, keep in touch, not only with people at work, but people in my personal life. And it's pretty much like talking all day sometimes. And then I'll take like days where I don't talk to anybody like all day mm. I'll you know do a little text so if I have a call it's like two or three minutes or I'll just look at the phone and not answer and mm. I think um but I'm saying that because I am I am someone who is really social I do enjoy interacting with people and I think with the pandemic I kind of went into overdrive some as far as trying to keep communicating with certain people or felt the mm. sting of things when um I didn't communicate with people as often as I did before or wasn't able to see people as often as I saw them before. So mm-hmm. all of that has been an adjustment going back to how we operate in the workplace. I think it'll be definitely a, a plus to be able to do some social interaction things, or even if you have meetings that are like productive, you have them outdoors. We're coming up on spring and, Mm-hmm. You know, barring any nice. allergy issues, having like a, a outdoor meeting where we can, you know, have a couple snacks or something, that'd be great. And that'll be a good adjustment for the pandemic mm-hmm. as well. You know, we're not putting anybody in danger. We can enjoy some vitamin D, get everybody's like morale up. don't have to be held in a conference room and, or right. in closed space and maybe like rotating, like we're going to have it at this outdoor location or this right. place or whatever. And there's a reason why like these office buildings put so much money into having like the big picture windows and stuff to let in so much natural light because it is mm-hmm. it has been proven to boost your mood. Just take the people outside. Say take take y'all hot spots and <laughs> exactly your laptops outside and uh, if you need to do a presentation that's gonna have to have to happen in the conference room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> if it's just a general meeting where you don't have to present anything, it sounds like it's a feasible approach to just you know if you have work cells to just use those work cells hot spots and. Right. And everybody has them. So there is no excuse. I am definitely a big promoter of where there's a will, there's a way. So Mm -hmm. if we can, if we say we want to do it, we'll find a way to do it. You know what? I think I'm going to implement that little tidbit. That sounds like a great idea. Good. I I think I'm going to have rotating outdoor meetings with my team. We'll see how that works. You should do it. You should come back and let our listeners know how that worked (laughs) out. Like today, we're going to be meeting at this park at this time to discuss these things. Add a note on the end of the email. Please take your allergy medication if you need to. (laughs) And don't forget to bring, you know. 
Well, I, I think I'm getting tablets from my team too, so we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, so as we were talking about just, you know, getting back acclimated into the workplace and whatever that looks like and, you know, whatever those practices are going to look like and finding that balance. Um, now some of us, I would say there is, um, there are people out there who have, it's been easier for them to show up remotely um, because due to, you know, whatever their personality is and showing up, you know, in person or, or it could still be remotely. It just may be different. It may be different uh, showing up day by day. And what I'm getting at, folks, is imposter syndrome. You're not showing up as your full self because um, for you're telling yourself, you're giving yourself reasons as to why you can't show up fully, why you aren't good enough. How do we combat that? I mean, I feel like I've heard what I've like is people have been a lot more transparent about um, imposter syndrome. It's not something that was talked about. I feel like in the past a lot, we didn't even really, I didn't know there was, if there was an actual label for the feeling, the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But lately, and I would say within the past few couple of years, I've been hearing people kind of open up about their own imposter syndrome. Um, I think the first time I heard that term may have been in college um, when like friends were preparing to apply to like professional schools. Mm-hmm. So um, it's definitely been in the back of my mind for a while and I may have been exposed to it a little earlier um, than the rest of the people in my social circle because of my major. And so we talked about imposter syndrome in school as well. But like as part of the curriculum, but as far as like a way to combat it, just like what you've been talking about, people been more open about it. That's a way to help combat it, to realize that you aren't the only one who is experiencing it. Um, but we do know that that's often not enough. I can know that other people struggle with, you know, stubbing their toe, but it doesn't make my toe being stubbed hurt any less. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for imposter syndrome. Um, I can know that other people struggle with it and that creates sort of like a community for me. But mm-hmm. if I'm experiencing it in a space and time outside of going to those people and asking them like how they brought themselves out of it, it doesn't doesn't really help. But I do think it does help to reach out to your support system that you have and say, hey. I am not feeling adequate right now. I don't feel like I belong here. I feel like, you know, this is a mistake. And I think as far as my experience with it, um, it's kind of like a feeling of I have pulled the wool over someone's eyes and mm. they let me into a space that I'm really not supposed to be in. And one day they're going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and combating that is, is more of like a faith walk. Like, I am supposed to be here. I am qualified. You can look at your qualifications mm-hmm. and good yeah, look at those things. I am good enough. These, This is the work that I put in. I work just as hard as the other people who are in this space. I have value to add to this space that I'm in. Um, and 
you can tell yourself those things and you have to keep doing it until you believe it, until you're able to talk yourself down from that space. You can talk to a friend or a family member, let them know you're feeling this way, have them help build you up or share a similar experience or remind you of things that you just aren't thinking of about yourself. Because when we're beating ourselves up, we aren't thinking of the good things that we've done to get ourselves to the space that we're in now. We're only thinking of mm-hmm. the things that could get us kicked out of the space that we're in. Or the mistake that we made and we're beating ourselves up and telling ourselves that we're not good enough because we made that mistake or, you know, it was a rookie mistake or whatever the case may be. Right. And I agree that it is reassuring to know, like, it's not just you, like you're mm-hmm. not the only one going through who feels that way. So there is, even if you're not reaching out to that community there, it helps to know, to feel like there is some community there. Like this mm-hmm. is not just a me thing. This is something, this, this is something a lot of people go through. Um, and then you look at, you know, some of those people who are more vocal and transparent and open about it. And you'd be like, okay, well, this person got it going on though. Like you would right. never know that this person is going through it. Like I've seen, you know, very, people who are killing it in their careers, mm-hmm. you know, who come out and say, like, I w- I've been at a low because of this. Right. And it's like, wow, it's it's just it's, it's very interesting. And, I, and part of me. So with that, just trying to figure out, like, where does imposter syndrome come from? And is that connected to burnout, you know, professionally? Because if you really try to put a microscope on it, you'll notice like there are some trends with how people may move or interact. Um, I think it can be con- connected to burnout, but I think it's connected to burnout in like a, a lateral sideways type of way. So mm-hmm. with burnout, it comes from when you're putting an intense amount of pressure on yourself for a prolonged period of time. So it's the pressure that you're putting on yourself more so than the burnout itself. Um, mm-hmm. so, cause like when I've experienced imposter syndrome myself, it hasn't been from a period where I felt burned out, I would say, or if I want to identify it, it would be me putting pressure on myself in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could say that that was burnout, but I wouldn't say I've been doing the same thing for so long. It was more so me putting an intense amount of pressure on myself to be at a certain level and not giving myself enough grace to say you are exactly where you need to be. You're right on pace. You're just fine. You're doing everything and more to be able to get to where you want to be. So calm down, relax. You're good. And I think um, that black women specifically put an intense amount of pressure on themselves to be the best at whatever they're doing. I can't say that this is, that's true for every black woman because I am not every black woman. (laughs) But it is a trend within black female spaces that black women do tend statistically to put more pressure on themselves to be the best Mm -hmm. at what they do. What are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, I definitely think it can be uh, effect of burnout and I think like imposter syndrome comes in, creeps in when you're overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and I I think it imposter syndrome just finds opportunity, it creeps in in 
do during those moments of self-doubt. Um, and that's and I think imposter syndrome is just kind of allowing self-doubt to take over, you know, how you function and how you interact and how you find um process things and how you know it really affects your well-being. So I think that when it comes to imposter syndrome, it's really getting a hold of your inner self, that inner voice that communicates to you and that guides you and that tells you, you know, if you're good enough or if you're not good enough. And and I think we all have that. Like we all have that self-criticism. Some of us, you know, may some actually it would be nice to think we all have that, but some some of us have shown that they they do think they're the most perfect people in the world and don't have any flaws. Um, and even those people, <laughs> I would dare to argue that the people who put off the persona that they are the most perfect people in the world are probably the biggest critics of themselves. So they go into overdrive to per, put out this persona that they are that the best, they're the per- mm-hmm. per- perfect. I have yeah, seen it happen time the and time again. Psychology of it all. <laughs> they are like, for lack of a better word, don't, don't, don't get on me listeners, but they are crazy at home. Like it is a whole different person. And you would be like, I'm <laughs> so surprised that like, you seem so confident. It's like, no, they are going through it. But that was just a side note. Yeah. And so for me, I think it's just important to, to combat that. And, and that means you're going to, that's, you have to work on yourself because there's no amount of validation you know, that can make yourself, you know, tell, feel differently about yourself. It's going to take your own inner work. So for me, like I know this year I, I like to do put up my affirmations and goals and stuff and remind myself of where I want to be and what I want to accomplish. And one of my um, affirmations this year was I am exactly where I am supposed to be mm-hmm. is what I told myself and grant. And I have to take myself back to that affirmation and that, that, time there, after time. that there people imposter <laughs> syndrome isn't something where you can just read this note that you left to yourself or call up that friend that you have on your list. And then it just magically goes away. It is a constant thing that you try to fix or that you work on. It's not, oh, I'm just magically healed after this one therapy session. You have to constantly work at it with yourself. And it doesn't mean that you're going to experience imposter syndrome in negative, inevitably. But if you do, it's probably something that you're going to have to continue to work at. It could hit you at any time. You could be at the peak of your career. And then all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere. Yeah, so you got to get get a hold of that self-doubt if you do allow the self-doubt to slip in. And you have to tell yourself that you are good enough, that you are smart enough, that you are pretty enough, that you are, you know, athletic enough or whatever it is. Like, mm-hmm. you are good enough and that you can do it and that you have what it takes to bring to whatever challenge it is that is coming your way. And, you know, again... however you seek out that guidance to get over that hump seek out that guidance because it could take you know some advising some some consulting some coaching some praying you know to get through whatever it is that's that's triggering and and allow and bringing that self-doubt in and that imposter syndrome in but um the I think the real kicker is being able to recognize it when it does come in and not allowing it to 
uh, take over, you know, everything, you know, especially for a long period of time. I think we all have our moments. And usually when I'm, when I have my moment, I tell myself, I'm going to give myself self. You got a day, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, to get through it, to go through these emotions. But by tomorrow, it is a new day and we're going to start off on, you know, a more optimistic and positive foot and whatever, you know, negative things I was telling myself yesterday, I will not be telling myself today. I'll tell myself positive things today sort of thing. And I think also we have to remind ourselves that um, the world is hard enough on us as it is. The world's going to throw whatever curveball it can at you. That That is inevitable. Um, don't tell yourself no before anybody else gets the chance to. And I think that also is tied into like imposter syndrome. It's tied directly into self-sabotage. Let me beat down on myself and tell myself all the ways of why I can't get this done um, or I don't belong in this space before somebody else gets a chance to tell me that. And once you bring yourself out of that, because you will, and if you bring yourself out of that, you're even stronger if someone does come and try to tell you, oh, well, you don't belong here and you shouldn't be here and you're not qualified. You know for a fact that you are, but don't beat yourself down before somebody else gets a chance to and understand that you know we all I feel like you know that person who may intimidate you or you think is so fabulous they have doubts too you know they have self-critiques as well and yes some people show up very you know assertive or confident or you know like a powerhouse but that's because people have some of us have been like trained and and have built these habits to interact this way and make sure once we step out that door, we put on our face and like we take over and you could feel like crap on the inside. So I just think that, you know, you extend that grace to everybody. No one's above, you know, God. And I I don't hate I don't want to segue this into anything, a spiritual conversation, but you know, we're all, human beings and we've all had to start somewhere and we all go through things and have our own, you know, situations and criticisms and all of that. And we have, we all have our own flaws. And I think when you take it for what it is and not put people um, on pedestals and take them for what, you know, for what it is. And if they're critiquing you, then see if you can learn from those critiques. Exactly. Um, That's what we said on the last episode. But don't let it, uh, change your perception and your value of yourself, even if someone else thinks your value is different. Because I had a lot of people tell me who and what I should be and what what I was going to become and stuff like that. And that wasn't on for them to tell. You know, I'm the author of my story. And I love mm-hmm. uh, bringing that, that trend back home. But it's a fact. Like, people love to tell you, you know, well, this is who you're going to become. This is what you're going to do. This is how much money you're going to make. And Da, 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 da. And people try to, if you allow it, you know, if you let those thoughts really seep in and you start believing them, then, you know, you'll put yourself there. You don't apply for that job because somebody told you that you weren't good enough to get that job. That doesn't mean you don't apply for the job. You still apply. So mm-hmm. you have to tell yourself, you know, let listen to, to be nicer to yourself as well. Right. Nice to yourself. 
and that makes sense and it fits our overall theme (laughs) (laughs) and i guess on that note folks thanks for joining us for another episode of you'll never be oprah and we hope that you come back to listen again all right bye